So, question. What is a rightly ordered life? And when you order your life right, what does it feel like? The answer is it feels like rest and peace. What is a disordered life? It's a life that feels out of control. It's a life that's beginning to feel meaningless. It's a life that's beginning to feel like there's some anxiety. And it's a life that doesn't look very loving to others. Rest, anxiety, work, and family is what we're talking about today. Now today, what we find is that God is the one who builds your life. God does it. Now, He doesn't build a life for you without you acting. God is the one who builds it. He's required you to do something, though. To trust Him and follow His ways, and as you do that, He will build the life that He means for you to have. But you've got to trust Him. And the temptation is... Well, because fear starts setting in, anxiety starts setting in, and then it starts growing. Because when this, well, you stop trusting him. You're not sure about the future he's going to give you, and so you stop following his ways. You start following your ways, someone else's ways for your life, and as you do that, your life becomes disordered. And as the disorder sets in, this disordered life, this out-of-whack life, anxiety grows. And anxiety, as this anxiety grows, you start letting the important people in your life down. Now, why would anxiety cause you to do that? Well, you start focusing in on you. You start focusing in on the problems of your life, and you can't see people clearly anymore. You can't, you, your mind is not clear. Your heart is not pure anymore because you're so overwhelmed, and so you start letting important people in your life down. You stop loving them well. Because you're so consumed with yourself and your problems because of this anxiety that you really, you have no choice. You feel stuck. You feel a slave to this anxiety. We're in our series called Playlist, The Road Home. What this is, is we're looking at Psalm 120 to 134. And this is a set list of songs that God has given his people for them to sing on these spiritual pilgrimages that they take. So up to three times a year, the Israelites would travel to Jerusalem. What's Jerusalem? The city of peace. And then they would go up to Mount Zion. What's Mount Zion? The Mount of Joy, the Mount where meaning is. So you've got the city of rest and the Mount of meaning, meaning in your life, and they're on this journey there. And these songs they would sing to encourage them along the way, to prepare their hearts to meet with God, and the same is true for you. These songs that God has given us are songs for us to sing as we travel from this world to the next, as we are searching the shores of paradise. We have these songs to sing to get us there. But listen, it's not just that there's this one big long journey that you take in this life. In fact, there are weekly journeys that you ought to be taking. Every Sabbath is meant to bring you up to the Mount of God. Every Sunday is meant to bring you up to the mountain of God. So get good, get used to taking these pilgrimages every week. A well-lived life is a life that's taken a lot of pilgrimages to meet with God on the top of the mountain and then come down from that mountain with peace and rest to love the people in your life well and to not waste your life. But you've got to get up to the mountain to come back down. 
So let me read to you Psalm 127. A song of ascents. Ascents is the, is the technical term for pilgrimage of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate, in the gate. All right, first point, the good life. First thing to see is that this is a wisdom song. It's a song that is, that is structured in such a way that the readers would recognize at the time that this is a wisdom song. And it's written by Solomon, who is supposedly the wisest man who has ever lived. And when you hear a wisdom song, what you have to understand is this is the way that life generally works. Here's some wisdom for you so you know the way life generally works. It's not the way it always works. There are exceptions to the rules, but if you want to live a life that's well-lived, follow the ways of wisdom because generally speaking, it works out the right way. So the psalm is about the path to the good life for you, for your family, for the church, and for the city as a whole. And when it speaks of the house, the Lord, unless the Lord builds the house, this word house is a poetic term. It's yes, it's meant to represent your, you, your house that you live in and, and the family in it. But it's also represent, meant to represent your entire life, you and your well-being. And it's also considered the house of the Lord, so it's the church. And then it speaks of the city, the watchman watching the city, so it's about the city as well. So the image from a thousand feet down is of a flourishing city. And the city is flourishing because the church is strong. And the church is strong because the families are strong. And the families are strong because they have surrounded themselves with the wisdom of God and they have taught it to their children. Now we're going to talk a lot about kids today. Now I'm going to tell you something. If you don't have kids, this message is equally for you. If you aren't able to have kids, if you never have kids, Paul never had kids. And he saw the people in his life, he saw himself as their spiritual father. So take on that role. If you don't have kids, if you don't, if you don't have them, if you can't have them, you're a spiritual mother, you're a spiritual father to people still. So, in other words, the good life for a whole city, it starts around the dinner table. The good life for a whole city starts with prayers that are said with children before they go to bed. The good life for the city starts with rhythms that you set up for your kids to follow, that you're following. It starts with spouses who have wholeheartedly devoted their lifestyle to following the ways of God. Their weekly rhythms, how they live their life together, how they interact with the church, how they interact with their friends in the church, how they interact with their skeptical friends outside of the church how they handle their sex life, their money life, everything they're finding, they're saying, here are the ways of God, we're going to follow them with all of our hearts. Now, I want you to picture this family. They read their Bible together. They pray together. They serve the church together. And they see their lives as a ministry 
to the world around them. The goal of a family, the goal of a family is to be kingdom bringers in the world around you. So this family has rightly ordered their life. And they're doing the right amount of work, right? They're not receiving this anxious bread to eat. But they're going to work. And as they finish their work, they've left enough energy to bring home to their kids. They left enough energy to bring home to their spouses. And by the way, if you're single, if you're not married yet, just let this ring in your ear about the kind of spouse you want to be looking for, about the kind of family that you one day want to raise. So if enough families start living this way, this text is telling us that the city will flourish. And I want to tell you about our cities around us. We have people spread out from Stewart to Fort Pierce and even a little bit beyond that. And I want you to know in the Treasure Coast, we're not flourishing. I mean, on paper, it might look good. But there's a, there's a big problem in our area, and I spent a lot of time diagnosing it, and I think you can boil it down to this. We crave comfort so much that we follow the ways of whatever we think will make us most comfortable, and we abandon the ways of God. And because we've done this, there's a lot of people in our cities who are lonely. And they are lonely because, well, let me tell you something about people. They're not very comfortable. People require effort. They require sacrifice. Friendships are hard. Marriages are hard. Being parents are, is hard. So, well, you just say no to it all so you can stay comfortable. Or everybody's saying no, and so you find yourself without these relationships. The other problem is there's this family that we all try to keep up with. I think the name is the Joneses. And I'm telling you, we're looking around at all the families around us, and we're trying to keep up with them. We're looking at the people around us. We're trying to keep up with them. We're looking at their success, and we're measuring the quality of who we are by, this, by our ability to keep up with this successful life that is painted before us. And I want to tell you this. So it's a big problem, and it's ruining our cities, and the number one reason that this is happening is because of husbands and fathers, men. This psalm while it's for the whole family, it's directed more towards fathers and sons. Now, the, the, the word that's translated children, it can also be translated sons. And, this, and the great scholar, Hebrew scholar, Robert Alter, says this is a masculine psalm. So this is a psalm primarily about fathers and sons, but also about the family as a whole. So there's something in here for all of you, and there's something in here for you to be looking for as you are searching for men or if you're raising men. And it's also, we see this is for men, because at, at, the, at the city gates, this is the place where men would go and meet, and if there were enemies coming, the men would gather there to talk with the enemies. And also, the city gates is a place where a courtroom appearance kind of would happen. So there's maybe, there's, well... Either way, look, here's the issue. There's enemies approaching. And the, the image that we have is the enemies that are approaching are meant to be seen as people or things that are in opposition to the ways of God. Because if they're, if they're for the ways of God, we open the gates and let it right into the city. But if it's not the ways of God, then we look at that and that's, that's wrong. These are our enemies. These are, something's, something is approaching that could ruin our lives. So we close the gates and as we speak, the image is of men, and, and their quiver is filled, meaning their sons are like sharp arrows. 
meaning that these men have raised their children well, and as the ways of the world look in, they say, "Uh uh-uh, I will have no foothold here. The enemies turn back and they leave. The ways of husbands and fathers and men become the ways of the city. The, the degree that husbands and fathers are flourishing is the degree that the city is flourishing. Now, let me just prove this to you. One, everybody seems to have daddy issues. All right? It's okay. Everybody seems to have it. So why? Well, men, uh, so, so fathers, let me just say this. You, you are not God. So in some sense, you're going to let your kids down. Just get over it right now. The best thing you can do is point them to God. Okay, so now we see that often when fathers aren't present, statistically speaking, the the children will not flourish as much. Now, you could make that argument for mothers easily, but let me just seal the deal with this. When a mother comes to Christ, when she, she changes her ways and she starts following a different way, a different pattern of life, 17% of the time, the rest of her family will join her at church. When a father, 17%, when a father changes his ways, meets Christ, becomes a Christian, has this new path, this new way of life, 93% of the time, the rest of the family will join him at a church. That number is wild, and we should take note of it because it's an important number. The problems of our world stem from fathers Husbands and men who are not stepping into their responsibilities as families and their, for their families. The problem with the world starts with men leaving God and the church. Now, I want to I paint a typical picture for you. We have a lot of young families here, and I want to I paint a typical picture of what happens. It's funny, actually, because it happens a lot. So, you have a kid, and you're like, oh, okay, I have a kid. This is, pretty, this is, this is a little overwhelming. So then you have two kids, and your second child turns two. Whatever reason, about this time, parents start thinking about God and the church and start saying, hey, the the wife says, hey, we probably should get back to the church, or we probably should go for the first time because we've got these kids, and we have no idea what we're doing. So we need to figure this out. So the husband's like, oh, okay. He has his doubts about God and has his even stronger doubts about the church, but they're not strong enough doubts to make him say, no, I don't want to have anything to do with this. And so he says, maybe we should. And at least our kids will learn the way they should live their life. And so, okay, we go. So they show up and it's kind of like this new thing and they're excited and they're learning. And the husband begins to grow a little bit dull of this whole Christ conversation and submission to Christ because, you know, we want to be the warriors. We don't want to submit to anybody. So... Slowly, the husband starts looking for reasons to abandon the church. And finally, the reason comes. Somebody says something. I'm gone. Now, what what will typically happen is the the rest of the family, the wife and her kids, will, will continue to come for a period of time, but it's starting to get more difficult. And over months, period of months, eventually the family is gone. All right. Men, I've just put a whole bunch of pressure on you. So let me take all of it off of you for a moment and say, who's building the house? Second point, you're building the house versus God building the house. You building your life versus God building your life. There are two opposite errors. Either we think it's up to us to build everything and crush ourselves under that pressure, 
or we think it's all up to God and there's nothing for us to do. Now, now I'm speaking to all of you now. Think of your life, the ways of God. We think, oh, either I have to figure this whole thing out and have this flourishing life, or God's going to do it for me, and I'm just going to sit back and wait on the couch. And the answer is neither of those are right. God builds your life. God builds your house. But he's requiring you to trust him and follow his ways. And as you begin to follow his ways, he begins to bring flourishing into your life more and more and more. So the goal of the Christian life is to rightly order your life. Putting things in the right priority, in the right place. So I'm going to tell you this, but don't trust God to make you successful because it's likely your version of success is very different than God's version of success because you're still trying to keep up with the Joneses and you're putting all this pressure on you to keep up with all the people around you and I want you to know that God has something very different in store for the people that are next to you. He's a different plan for their life and you're thinking you want to be a little bit better than not too much because you don't want them to feel bad but just a little bit better so everybody knows like you're the person. So you chase this, but God doesn't want this for you. You know what God wants? He just simply wants you to follow his ways and trust him that he's going to work it out exactly the way it's supposed to go for you. Because here's the deal. If you did keep up with the Joneses or beat them, well, that might actually wreck your family. You might not know what to do with too much worldly success. It might mess up your whole life. It might mess up your heart. It might mess up your mind. You might have this develop this sickness of the mind that has been tainted by this allure of success. So God gives you just the right amount. And you know what? He's also got a purpose for you. And have you had too much success, too little worldly success, you wouldn't be able to live into that purpose. So all you got to worry about, pressure's gone. Just follow God's ways. That's it. Follow him and then trust him to handle the rest of it and let it work out the way it's supposed to. That's your goal. And before we look at this life that you're supposed to order, I want to ask this question. What happens when you don't properly order your life? What happens when you look at the ways of God and you reject the ways of God? This is our third point, anxiety and rest. If you're anxious, if you're an anxious person, and I'm not talking about the anxiety that comes from a genetic uh, issue that's been passed down from your parents, though I promise you God can help you with that. What I'm talking about is, in, is an anxiety that comes when you fear your future more than you fear God. It's because your anxiety is a result of you being scared of the wrong thing. You're fearing the wrong thing. You either fear your future or you fear God. Now let me explain this. We fear things that are greater than us. And the future is uncontrollable and it is monumental. When you think about enemies approaching the gate, you're thinking about the unknown future coming at you and you don't know what it is. And because you don't know what it is, it brings a little bit of anxiety. Now, here's what it could do. When you look at the future, it might cause you to, to develop a healthy stress. We all need a, a certain amount of stress in our life. Some people can handle more, some people can handle less. But the bottom line is stress makes you act it gets you off the couch and makes you do something. That's a good thing. But when you start to feel like you've got to figure it all the ways out, when you are the one who's in control of everything, what you find is that actually you have no idea how to be in control of your life. 
There's this saying that it's, it's easier, easier to rule over a city than to rule over your life, to rule yourself. So what we find is we start judging all the world around us. We start judging the politicians. We start judging as if we could do a way better job, as if we could rise to that level of influence when our lives are a mess. So better to just focus in on you and on your life. So the future comes. You realize you are out of control. You can't handle it. It's too much. The stress that was healthy is beginning to turn unhealthy. And now you're becoming anxious. So you start overworking to fix the issues. The problem with anxiety is that it clouds your judgment. It makes you not see clearly. And so the anxious person with an anxious life begins doing work that's meaningless because they can't recognize what's good work and bad work, what's meaningful work and meaningless work. So now they have entered onto the hamster wheel. And when it says it's all in vain, this, this, this doesn't mean it's vanity like it talks about in Ecclesiastes. It means it's meaningless work. It means you are doing things that are accomplishing nothing. You're just staying moving, thinking that you're going to fix your issues and the anxiety will go away, only it keeps growing. Vain work. But you don't realize it. You keep going because you're worried. You're wrecking your life. You're wrecking your family because now you're overworking and you're not coming home as often. And your spouse is feeling neglected. Your kids are noticing that you're not around as much. And as this continues, your spouse starts to feel less and less loved. Now you're setting up a, a, a situation of unfaithfulness. And, and the other problem is your spouse is fearful too. Because your spouse wants to feel loved but isn't feeling loved and is so scared that if they talk to you, you will not respond or they, will, or, or, or they won't, when you talk to them, they won't respond the right way which means they're going to feel more unloved. So they're scared to say a word. And so this continues on and on until the family is falling apart. The children take notice. And it's all because of an anxiety that was based on trust in self over trust in the ways of God. Now, if that's you, which I'm sure to some degree it is, I know you guys, you're a little bit anxious then it's time to stop trusting in your ways and trust in the ways of God and let him just work the rest out. Let him handle it. All you got to do is do what he tells you to do. Now, fear of God, which we'll talk about more next week, versus fear of the future. See, what's happening is the future is big. There's a magnitude to the future that is absolutely overwhelming. So what you're searching for is something that's greater than the future that is coming at you. And that is what you find in God. You need something larger than your future because he is greater than your future. What it means is now you can simply follow his ways and trust that he's going to work the rest out because he knows your future. He knows you. He knows the way the world works. And he's told you, live like this. And do you know what else? Not only is the Bible telling you he knows how to teach you to navigate the future, but it says he is with you always to the end of the age. Meaning there in the future, he is with you. Guiding you still, always, forever. He's a future that's bigger than your future. He's bigger than all things. So now, 
well, if you don't, if you don't follow that, then anxiety starts crippling you. And you end up overworking, meaningless work. But if you will rest, and if you will find your peace in Him, then you work with a clear mind and a pure heart, and then you end up doing work that's meaningful. You go into your job and you recognize the things that you should be doing there, and you do them, and you're like, this was a good day. And you leave the day energized because there's something about doing meaningless work that will drain you, and there's something about doing meaningful work that will fill you up. And so you're being filled up with this meaningful work, and you're driving home like, this was a good day. You're energized, and you pull into your driveway, and you're ready for your kids. So you walk in, and you've got all this energy. You see your neighbor, and you, know, like, you shoot them a peace sign, and they know you love them, and they, they love you. And you got this thing because you're seeing meaning in everything you're doing. You walk in with your kids and with your spouse and things, well, you're putting attention to the things that need attention. You end your day well. Now, if you aren't experiencing that, you have some soul searching to do. There's a lot of reasons why you might hate your job. Here's one of them. You're operating out of fear and you picked your job out of fear, and it was the wrong job for you. You have some soul-searching to do. Or, maybe you're in the perfect job, but you have so much anxiety that you can't even see that this is a great job for you. You can't find any meaning in your work because you're so anxious and overwhelmed all the time. But if you will work with wisdom, you will be energized, you will come home with energy, you will have energy in all the things that you're doing. I mean, I'm not saying you won't get tired. God gives you a day of rest. You should physically rest. He gives to his beloved sleep. Now that brings us to the ways of God. Here is where we're going to rightly order your life. Well, you have to do this. I can't do it. First, first thing, this is work versus family, but really this is a, a rightly ordered life. First, follow God's ways over everybody else's ways. Make him your greatest priority. Not the ways of your spouse, not the ways of your children, not the ways of your job, but the ways of God. Some of you are following the ways of your spouse over the ways of God. This is bad for your spouse and for you. Some of you are following the ways of your children. This is really bad for your children and for you. And some of you are following the ways of your job. This is bad for everything. It's bad for your family. It's bad for you. So first, God's ways. Second, order of priority. Now we go to your spouse. Now, this chapter is not speaking of your spouse. Next, next week, actually, we'll speak of this, but this week doesn't. But if we're rightly ordering our life, we have to look at the order. And if you look at the book of Ephesians, it says, husbands, love, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And then it speaks of children. Now, I'm not talking about like th this love. There's a love that you have for your kids that is different than you have for your spouse. Should be that way. But what I'm talking about is a priority here, and here's why. Because if, you, if your marriage is a mess, eventually your family is going to be a mess. So you invest in your spouse. You make them a priority. You go on dates to keep the romance alive. You pursue and you chase, and you see this person as an adventure to you. And you communicate well on purpose you're putting the time in. Communication is one of the hardest things to do. You make it a priority. Communicate well. You honor each other. You make sure you're on the same team. You don't talk bad about them behind their back. 
You have to continue to honor them. If you've got something to say to them, say it to them. If you can't, you're being cowardly. Say it to them. Sometimes fighting is the best thing that you can do. Otherwise, one person's always getting their way over the other, and that becomes problematic, and it leads to a resentful life. So do that. Invest in your marriage, and it will create a healthy home for you, for your children. And then third, you cherish your children. Our verses actually say that children are our inheritance from God. Now, typically what we think is we are giving our children an inheritance, and okay, good, but it's saying actually the greater inheritance from God is the gift of your children. God has given you something greater than you can give your children, them, your children. So, and it says they are the reward. So what is your reward, parents? Your children are your reward. Fruit of your womb. Children don't make us weak and exhausted. They are our strength. I'm not saying you aren't exhausted by your children, but I'm saying that they're actually your strength, so it's worth it. It's worth being exhausted for their sake, because then they become your strength. They're our treasure, it says. The future of the city and the world that we are in are our children. Our verses actually say they're our protection and a gift from God, and they're more of a blessing to us than we are to them. So it's, it's like, oh, you have no idea how great of a parent I am than you, how great of a parent I am to you. No, it's you are my blessing, child. I'm blessed by God that he has given you given you to me. So you honor them, and they will honor you, generally speaking. Remember, this is wisdom and how wisdom typically works, though sometimes it doesn't happen that way. But it doesn't mean they're easy. They're often a handful before they are a quiver. You know, a quiver, a quiver is this bag filled with arrows, and we're seen as their children are like arrows. They're like, they're our protection. But one day, you need to know this. They will be taking care of you. So you better honor them well because you don't want them as they're taking care of you for them to think, I wish that I could just go ahead and get my inheritance right now. So honor them and they will honor you. And then after your children, here's the order of importance. So third is children. Fourth is the church. You say, wait, what about work? You're saying that the church is a higher priority than work? I'm ready to completely reshape the way you're thinking right now. Because here's the thing. Remember what I said earlier? Your family are kingdom bringers. Ministry. I'm not talking about church as what's happening here. I'm talking about church as the people of God actively seeking to bring heaven to earth. Who have gone on these pilgrimages... And there they've brought the stuff of God, the glory of God, the kingdom of God back down from the mountain to share in all of their life. And so that means your workplace is your ministry field. And you have to think about it that way. And if you don't, you will not find meaning in your work, not the way you're meant to. But if you will see that this, your job, your workplace is the place for you to bring the kingdom of God, the love of God, the glory of God, the beauty and worth of God, you're going to start asking different questions about what you're doing each day. And the question you're going to start asking is, how do I love at this place? How do I show these people that God is amazing, like what I found? But really, it's just like, how do I show these people that I love them? And then you're like, I don't love them. Well, 
Now you have a new issue that you've got to work through. You've got to go up the mountain, see that you are an enemy of God, and he loved you still, and you come down that mountain with that love, ready to offer it in your workplace to those really annoying people that you work with. And if you don't have any annoying people in your job, well, that could be, you could be the annoying one. Rightly order your life, and you're going to find meaning, purpose, and joy, and peace, and rest. Because there, there's a thing, like, you go up the mountain, you find rest from God, and then you start working out of rest. And many of you are working off of fumes, and you've got nothing left. And you're wondering why you're not making an impact on the world, it's because you're not spending enough time with God, you're not resting. The Sabbath day has not become something important to you. So you're being drained of life, and nothing's filling you up because... Well, you're not going to God. So follow the ways of God and let him work out the fruit in your life. You just be faithful. Now, how do you make sure you don't waste a minute of your life? How do you make sure of that? You have to look at him, Christ, the one who came down from heaven, who came to the mountain, who came down the mountain for you. Because he, Christ, this is your work versus Christ's work. He's doing all of the the work. You're just needing to be faithful to him. So what's he doing? Well, he's the life itself, and he's coming down. He's adding life to you. So look at what he did. He completely came into the world and rightly ordered his life the the perfect way it was meant to be. He did everything right, perfectly ordered life, and the Father was his greatest priority. And he, the son and the father, they said, what's our plan? What are we going to do? How are we going to change this world? Well, they had a plan the whole time. And he said, well, we're going to take those who have disordered their lives, who have not followed our ways, who have abandoned us, who have run off into the abyss, who've run off into this hellish living, and we're going to chase them down, and we're going to rescue them, and we're going to teach them how to live. And so this is what Christ does. He comes down into the chaos into the disorder, and he goes down into the depths of it all, into hell. And see, your sin is just you simply not ordering your life the right way. That's sin. And so that sin has caused you to, be, to, to do what the Bible's already called, is already, well, the Bible says you're dead already because of sin. So you're there at the bottom, at the depths of hell, and he comes down and he grabs you and he lifts you up, and in the resurrection, if you have faith in him, he'll lift you up out of it, and he'll give you life, and then He clings to you and he says, let's go live like this now. Let's bring heaven to the earth. Let's do what is required of you. We're going to do it together and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Not going anywhere. Now follow my ways and I will build your house. He says, let's pray. God, we pray that you would make us people who have ordered our life in such a way that it brings you glory and honor and praise. And we see that. God, make us into people who see that it's a beautiful thing because your glory is our joy. When we taste and see your beauty, it brings us joy. So let us want your glory to cover all the earth so that the city we are in will take joy in knowing you and then follow your ways and then the city might flourish. God, this is such a big picture chapter but it's also so close to us. And so we pray not only would we seek a flourishing city, but we would seek a flourishing soul for us. And that we'd be more concerned with not casting judgment, 
about what others are doing in their life, and we would rightly order ours. And as we do that, God, we pray that you would bring fruit. Teach us to be faithful, but then, God, as we live a life of faithfulness, bring fruit. Bring flourishing for our children. Bring flourishing for our families, our spouses, for our church, and for our city, because you have brought flourishing for us. And God, you say that we're your children, and so we're asking you as your children to bring fruit into our life because we followed your ways. And God, in the ways that we haven't followed your ways, I pray that you would lead us up out of the chaos, up out of the hell, up out of the death, so we might find all of our joy in you and then follow you. God, make us realize our ways. We are not so wise, but you are. Our spouses are not so wise, but you are. Our children are not so wise, but you are. And our bosses in our workplaces, the culture there, are not so wise, but you are. Let us take hold of every way that you have placed in your word and make it ours. Help us follow the path in Jesus' name. Amen.